Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young adults who meet together to talk about the teachings of Jesus and what it means to follow Him today. We hope you enjoy the podcast today, which is a sermon from one of our leaders, Peter Salazzo. He's talking today about the phenomenon deconstruction. What is it and how should we approach it? exciting. This is the first time I've gotten to take my mask off in church in years, honestly. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about deconstruction today. I'm going to give you just a little bit of context about myself. Uh, I actually haven't gone through a big deconstruction process or anything. Uh, I think I've kind of deconstructed my own faith gradually over time without really realizing what that was. Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about it was because I think it's something that is becoming a lot more relevant recently or a lot is being talked about uh, a lot more. Uh, even in the last few months, I feel like I've heard the term deconstructing faith more often. So I felt like for myself, I had to, I needed to learn what that meant and how I felt about it and how I should be reacting to it. Because if you haven't heard the term deconstructing faith, you just, you hear it for the first time, someone says to you, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian who's deconstructing my faith. You might not know how to respond to it or what to think of it. Uh, you might think, you know, deconstruction, that sounds kind of scary. It sounds kind of dangerous. It sounds awfully close to the word destruction. Are they destroying their faith? Are they rejecting Christianity? Are they rejecting Jesus? Uh, even scarier might be if, if you yourself are going through deconstruction and you're just not sure how people respond to that. You might think, oh, if I tell people I'm deconstructing my faith, they're going to think, okay, well, what does that mean? That means well, you're questioning your faith, which means you're doubting your faith, which means you're losing your faith. And we don't want to share that with people and just have them think like, oh, so deconstructing faith, your faith, that must mean you're a weak Christian. When it doesn't mean that at all. Uh, deconstruction can actually be a very good thing in our walk with God, as it allows our, us to look at our faith in a new way and hopefully brings us closer to God. Uh, for me, when I hear the word deconstruction, uh, I personally, I watch a lot of MasterChef, especially MasterChef Australia. So I think of deconstructed foods when I think of the word deconstruction. So I have a picture of a, a French onion soup. I don't know how many of you have, uh, yeah. <laughs> so there will be a picture of a French onion soup. Uh, I don't know how many of you have, have had French onion soup before. Uh, I think I've only had it once. For me, it's the sort of thing that you see on a menu and you're like, why would I order that? Like, onion soup doesn't sound that exciting. And then your friend orders it, and it comes out, and you're like, oh, that, that's very exciting. That looks amazing. Look at all that cheese. That looks so good. I actually want that. Uh, and so on one episode of MasterChef that I was watching, uh, a contestant did a deconstructed onion soup. And the thing about deconstructed foods is uh, what it usually is is you're taking a classic food or dish, like French onion soup is actually a classic dish, but you're presenting it in a new way that allows you to experience it a little bit differently, usually by taking each of the parts and making them a little bit more distinct from each other. So on MasterChef, this is the, uh, this is the result they came up with as a deconstructed French onion soup. So it looks entirely different, but all the components are actually the same, like more or less. It might be a different kind of cheese from the first picture, but everything you see here, you can take that and you can make basically what you saw in the first picture. You can make a classic French onion soup. And that's kind of what we're doing with deconstruction. We're taking the different elements of our faith. We're kind of looking at them at piece by piece so we can see them in a new way, see them in a way that we might not necessarily have looked at it before. Uh, so that can be very helpful to us. It allows us to see what our faith is compri comprised of and helps us uh, make our faith more personal to us. 
Uh, I think that I like about the onion soup analogy is the fact that nothing's being added or removed. So in these two pictures, again, you have the same ingredients. And so often with deconstruction, we're not necessarily adding or removing anything. We might, in our deconstruction, we might find, oh, I actually believe something that just wasn't biblical. Like, this actually wasn't true. But for the most part, we're actually coming to a greater understanding of what we believe and why we believe. Uh, and so that's something very valuable in deconstruction. Now, another thing about deconstructed foods is that in the past few years, especially maybe the next last uh, 10, 15 years, it's become something of a fad where you have people deconstructing foods just for the sake of deconstruction. And that doesn't always work out. If you look online, you can find a lot of deconstructed food fails. So I have a picture of one of the favorite ones I found. Someone ordered a Caesar salad and they got this. Doesn't look very good. Uh, makes you kind of, kind of wish, like, why couldn't I just have a normal Caesar salad? And one of the judges on MasterChef Australia, he, when he talks about deconstructed foods, he's a bit skeptical. He, he recognizes that sometimes it's good and you can come out with good products. But one thing he says is, uh, if you, when you're deconstructing food, if what you create isn't at least as good as the original, what's the point? Like, why bother? You should be aiming to come out with something that's at least as good as the original was or better. Otherwise, you just wasted your time. And it's, I think it's the same kind of applies to deconstructing faith. What we want to come out with should be better than what we started. And I'll clarify a bit with that. When I say coming out with something better than the original, I don't mean we're going to come out with a new better of Christianity. We're not going to have something better than what Jesus taught or what's in the Bible. That's not going to happen. But what we should be improving on is our own understanding of Christianity. We should be able to say, my faith now is in a better place than it was before I went through this deconstruction process. And that should ultimately bring us closer to Jesus. So why is this important? Why are we talking about this tonight? Well, I think it's important because I think most of us, if not all of us, have probably gone through some sort of deconstruction process in our lives, or, or will at some point. It's not necessarily going to be a major event where you sit down and say, I'm now deconstructing my faith. But anytime you encounter something that your church believes that you say, like, oh, I don't know if I actually agree with that, that's part of deconstruction as you figure out, okay, do I agree with this set of beliefs? Anytime you're reading your Bible and you're struggling to see how a passage fits in with, with your view of faith and your view of God, that's deconstruction. And so it's important for us to talk about, to know that that's okay. Like, we shouldn't be afraid to ask these questions. If a Christian leader says something that we don't agree with, we shouldn't say, you know what, they said it, I just have to accept it. It's okay to actually ask ourselves if we agree with these things and see if it actually lines up with what the Bible says. And um, we'll come to that a bit more later. So in recent years, there's been lots of reasons why uh, we might have been motivated to deconstruct faith. In past years, we've had lots of divisive issues within Christianity. Uh, one has been COVID itself and everything around that, right? There was a lot of arguments about how we should respond to, to COVID and different practices for social distancing. I know on my own Facebook feed, I see all sorts of arguments from Christian friends, some being super anti-mask being like, yeah, we shouldn't wear masks, we gotta rebel against this and stand up for our rights. Other people are very pro-masks and saying, yeah, we need to respect our neighbors and protect each other. Uh, another divisive issue has been in the last five years, just the whole Trump phenomenon and, phenomenon and American politics. I see a lot of division on my social media with that too. You have, you have one group of Christians who says, uh, yeah, as a Christian, you should support Trump. It's the Christian, it's the, he's the Christian candidate. On the other side, you have a group of Christians saying, it doesn't make sense to support Trump as a Christian. Look at his moral character, like, it doesn't make sense. And so whichever one of those you fall on or anywhere in between, 
you might look at one side and say, okay, is this how Christians act? Is this how Christians behave? I don't know if I want to be associated with that. And so we have to actually be able to distinguish, uh, are these things that are actually we need to believe because the Bible says? Are these things that are negotiable? Are these things that are just flat out against the Bible? We need to know what's negotiable and what's not. We need to know what is tied in with our faith. Because I think it's a sad thing if someone looks at Christians disagreeing with their own political beliefs or their own social beliefs and saying, well, because this Christian disagrees with me or this group of Christians disagree with me, it must mean that I'm not a Christian. And so it's important to recognize where those lines, uh, yeah, where those lines are and what side of it is actually within the bounds of what the Bible says and what's more to do with Christian culture. Uh, and I think that's another big important thing we need to look at in deconstructing faith. A big part of deconstructing faith is recognizing what is biblical Christianity and what is Christian culture. These aren't necessarily in conflict with one another, but we don't want to mistake something that's part of Christian culture as necessarily being this is biblical truth, because there can be differences within Christian cultures, right? Like we've, most of us have been influenced by Western Christian culture and that shaped us. If we go to another part of the world that has different beliefs and see something different, we need to recognize it's not necessarily wrong. It might just be different. When you look at what you believe about your faith, when you look at what you believe about Christianity, uh, there's, you can often put it into three categories. Some of you may have heard something like this before, but there's three <clears throat> there are three categories uh, that we can call conviction level uh, beliefs, persuasion level, and opinion. So I won't go fully into that, but to quickly cover it so you can have a brief understanding of it. Conviction level beliefs are the sort of things that are essential to the Christian faith. Things that if you don't believe, you can't really say you're a Christian. Things like Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus being equal to God along with the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity. Uh, the, <clears throat> the, the belief that Jesus uh, died and was resurrected from the dead. Uh, the belief that our salvation comes from grace, not by works. These are all conviction level beliefs. These are the things that if someone comes to you and says like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe Jesus was the son of God. I believe he was just a man. You can say, okay, that's interesting, but I don't think you're actually a Christian. Like, you actually need to believe Jesus is the son of God to be a Christian. Persuasion level beliefs are things that are important and they're worth discussing and worth debating, but someone can have a different belief on you on it and you wouldn't say they're not a Christian. So these are things like uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism, complementarianism versus uh, egalitarianism. Uh, if those words mean nothing to you, that's okay. Uh, but things along the lines of like, these are things that you might have strong opinions about and you might feel the need to like convince people of your opinion. But if someone doesn't believe, you, believe the same thing as you, you wouldn't go and say, okay, you're not a Calvinist, then you're not a Christian. Like, these are things that we believe we can all still find unity with despite our beliefs. And then opinion level beliefs are things that, uh, for one, they're not, there's not necessarily a right answer, so there might be, but there are things that you might say, you know what, you have your belief about this, I have my belief. These are things like ways we worship. Uh, should we sing hymns? Should we sing more modern songs? Should we raise our hands in worship? Should we be more stoic? Uh, could be along the lines of things in communion too. Should we use wine or grape juice? These are things that are more opinion level. Thank you. Thanks. So these are things that if someone doesn't agree with you, you don't even usually really feel a need to argue with them or convince them otherwise. You're just like, yeah, that's fine. You worship this way, I worship that way, it's okay. 
Uh, but it's important to recognize these differences because sometimes we'll have church communities or churches that will take things in the persuasion level or the opinion level and elevate it to conviction level. And when that happens, if you're part of a, uh, part of a church that does this and you disagree with that thing in the persuasion level and you're told, well, you know what, this is what Christians believe, it might bring you to a point where you say, okay, well, I don't believe that. I guess maybe I'm not a Christian. And so there's lots of examples of things that we believe are more part of Christian culture that are, than are necessarily strictly biblical Christianity. A lot of differences in churches are things like alcohol consumption. Some churches believe that uh, Christians shouldn't drink any alcohol. Some believe Jesus turned water into wine, so we should just embrace that. Uh, evolution versus young, creation, uh, young earth creationism. Some churches are ready to stand and die on that hill while while other churches might say it's less important. Uh, Halloween, some churches would be very against Halloween. Some say like, it's fine. Uh, tattoos are another. Uh, less last one's maybe a bit more of a joke, but also kind of serious because it's true for some churches. Harry Potter, some church cultures are like, don't read Harry Potter, it's witchcraft. Other churches are like, it's just fiction, it's, go ahead. it's fine, go ahead and read it. But, but any of these things, like these are a part, all part of your church culture, and it's important to recognize this because then if you are trying to figure out whether or not you do believe what Christianity teaches, and if there, anything in this category comes up, you don't want to be the thing that makes you walk away from your faith. You don't, you don't want to be in a situation where you say, well, I kind of want to celebrate Halloween. I don't think I can be a Christian anymore. Like That would be, be silly and sad. Uh, I have a... I know a student at McGill who just a couple months ago, we were having a prayer meeting and they were asking prayer for one of their friends who was struggling with their faith. And they were sharing about their friend and they were just saying, yeah, my friend is like trying to figure out what they believe, but they don't think they can call themselves a Christian right now. And then she said, but the church they go to also believes a lot of things that aren't biblical, so that's probably why. And so she said that, and I just thought, huh. And I said to her, it's like, you know, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of funny and kind of sad that your friend doesn't think they can call themselves a Christian because their church believes things that aren't biblical. Like, it just feels very backwards, right? Uh, and I think it's super sad if we come to a point where we see churches being the reason why someone walks away from their faith. But if you have a church that's, again, upholding things that aren't biblical, or even if, even if they're just, they're holding things that aren't necessarily unbiblical, but they're elevating these persuasion level beliefs to conviction level beliefs, if you have someone going to that church and they're not really that familiar with their Bible or they're not going through any deconstruction process, they're kind of left with two options, right? Let's, let's say the church is actually teaching something that's unbiblical. The, the person has the option of they can be convinced by the church and say, okay, I'm a Christian. Uh, and I hold this belief that's unbiblical, which, which is not a good thing. Or they can say, you know what? I don't agree with this church. Uh, I don't believe this thing that they believe that happens to be unbiblical. I guess I'm not a Christian. And those are two terrible options, right? Either way, one way you have someone who's calling themselves a Christian, believing things that are unbiblical. Then in the other option, you have someone who doesn't believe this thing's unbiblical, but now they think that's what Christianity is. So they walk away from the church for that reason. And so the better solution in that is actually a process of deconstruction and be able to look at these beliefs and say, okay, what about this church do I not agree with? Why don't I agree with it? Is it something more just my, I personally don't believe it or is this actually against the Bible? And so that's why deconstruction is important and why we need to recognize it. And it's not just for ourselves, but it's also for the people around us. So that if someone comes to us and tells us that they're going through a deconstruction process, we don't have to kind of 
hold back and be like, oh, you should maybe not do that. But we can actually ask them, like, how can I support you in that? Like, what are the things you're wrestling with? Are there things that we can talk about? Maybe I can direct you to resources. Maybe I know someone else who can help if I don't have the answers for this. Uh, but we want to encourage people in that. We don't want people to have questions to feel like, oh, you shouldn't ask these questions. Like, it's not safe. So we need to recognize the difference between biblical Christianity and, uh, and uh, Christian culture. And we need to be able to encourage people to ask questions. Now, a question in all this is like, what's, is there, what's the biblical basis for this? Like, is deconstruction biblical? So I have a few verses for us to look at. Uh, it's hard looking up verses about deconstruction because the Bible doesn't specifically speak about deconstruction, right? It's a relatively new term, although I don't think it's a new concept. I think just the terminology is new. But I have a few verses that I think relate very strongly to, to, to deconstruction. So the first is 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. For the time will come, sorry, I can't read that back from here. Maybe I'll read it on my phone. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So the Bible explicitly says there will be times when people are turning away from sound doctrine and looking for other things that, that aren't biblical. Uh, Colossians 2, 6-8 says, So then, just as you receive Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on, rather than on Christ. So this idea is talking about there are, there are false teachers in the world, there's false teachings, and we need to actually be guarding ourselves against that and make sure that our faith is rooted in, in Christ and that Christ is the one that we're actually looking to for, for hope and for truth. Uh, the next verse that we'll look at is 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So again, the idea of there being untruths in the world and false prophets, and we need to test against that. Uh, and one more passage we'll look at is 2 Corinthians 13, 5-10. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but, to th but so that you will do what is right, even though you may seem to have failed. I won't read the rest because it's too much work for me at this angle. But it's the same idea of like, we need to test our faith. Uh, and this one speaks more specifically about testing our own faith, not just testing what false prophets are saying, but testing that what we believe is actually in line with truth. Uh, and there's more we can look into this. Uh, maybe you can look if you feel inclined, maybe you can look at it more in your small groups. But to show these four verses, they all talk about this idea of there being false teachers and there being false teachings and people having a tendency to stray from the truth. Uh, and I think this all relates very, very strongly into deconstruction. As we look at the things that we believe and the things we've been taught and we ask ourselves, are these actually true? Because uh, that's what deconstruction is. And so if you never go through that process, it might just mean you've just been content being assuming that things that you, the things you've been taught are true. But we don't want to just believe the things we've been taught are true without looking at what the Bible says ourselves. 
Because that shows that we're engaging with our belief. That shows we're engaging with our relationship with God and it allows us to grow. And also it makes us better teachers. It enables us to teach others uh, as they're seeking God and trying to figure out what Christianity teaches. Uh, so this, this next verse we'll come to you later, actually. Uh, for now, we'll talk about what does it mean for us when we talk about deconstruction? Because you might hear this and think I'm saying, okay, like, like now tomorrow we all need to go and start our deconstruction process. And that's, that's not what I'm saying. If you're at a point in your faith where you feel like, you know, I am pretty happy with what I believe. I, I think it, it makes sense to me. There's not a lot that, has, that raises questions or doubts. Uh, that's great. That's fine. You don't need to pick it apart just for the sake of picking it apart. But I think even within, within that, deconstruction will happen naturally just as you come across different things that you disagree with or struggle with, and it, it will just happen. Uh, it does mean we should be comfortable with questions. Uh, as questions come up for ourselves, we should be comfortable asking them. Uh, if you go to a church that discourages questions, that's a problem, I think. It's a problem for you, and it's a problem for that church. Because churches should never discourage, discourage questions. That shows a, uh, a lack of confidence in what they believe, I'd say. Uh, take, for example, say I was accused of a crime. Say someone came and said, Peter, I think you murdered this person. I don't know, whatever it is. Say I was accused of a crime. Adrian doesn't like the, uh, the murder example. But if I was accused of a crime... Uh, and they tell me, okay, because of this crime that we, we are sure you did, uh, we're going to get this great detective on the case, and he's going to figure it out. If I'm innocent, that's great news for me. I'm like, yeah, sure, bring him in. This, I'm tired of being accused of this thing that I didn't do. Bring him in. I want to get to the bottom of this. Uh, I want my name cleared. If I'm guilty, that's when I start to say, well, maybe don't call this detective. He probably has better things to deal with, like... I think you should just take my word for it that I'm innocent and we'll just leave it at that. And that's kind of what it looks like if a church says, don't ask questions, just have faith, just believe. Uh, it kind of makes it look like they're saying, you know, I don't, I'm not confident what we'll, what we'll find if we look at this too deeply. So we should always be willing to ask and answer questions. We should always be willing to engage with it. There is a place for faith. Uh, there's many things that, or there's some things that I have to believe on faith. Uh, because I have to acknowledge that I don't have every answer. But even if I, in the end, I end up taking on faith and I say, you know, I don't fully understand this, it doesn't mean I stop asking the question. I say, you know, I don't understand this yet, but I'm still, I still want to know it better. I'm still going to examine it. It doesn't mean that I discourage others from asking the question. And the reason why I have the faith to begin with is because there's so many things I've looked at uh, and I've seen, like, the Bible does have ways to back it up, that Christianity does have truth to it. I've seen so many reasons why I should believe the Bible and I should believe in the things that Jesus taught. And I've seen God be faithful so many times that in the things that I don't understand as well, I can say, okay, like I, I can see how faithful God's been. I can see how reliable he's been. I can see the truth in everything I've read. Because of that, I'm going to trust that this thing that I don't understand is a failing on my part, not, a, not on God's part. Because if we think we can't believe something because we don't understand one aspect of it, that's incredibly arrogant. We, we can't say, you know, I need to understand absolutely everything, and if I don't, that means it's wrong. Sometimes we're the ones that are wrong, or sometimes we just are missing some pieces of the puzzle that we haven't figured out yet. So one of the most important things in deconstruction, I think both for if we're going through deconstruction or someone else we know, is an openness to questions. And we should, we should definitely encourage questions. Uh, some things that deconstruction doesn't mean. 
Well, actually, before, the, before that, let's come back to that verse. Let's look at John 6, verses 66 to 69. So this, this verse isn't really about deconstruction at all. Uh, I'll read it, and then I'll explain the context a bit more. So it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus asked the twelve? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the context isn't really deconstruction because the reason why people are leaving Jesus at this point isn't because they have doubts about the truth of his words. Uh, It specifically says they're they're leaving because his teaching is too hard. They find it difficult. So it's a bit different. But in either case, I I just love the disciples' response here. They say, to whom shall we go? You have... You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the disciples just have a recognition of, like, where would we go if we leave Jesus? Like, there's, we would be losing out. There's nowhere better to go. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus has truth. And I think that's something we want to, that we need to hold to when we go through a deconstruction process. We need to recognize that there's nothing better than Jesus, and we're not going to find truth outside of him. And so all of our deconstruction, I think, needs to be framed within that. Now, if you're at a point where you're not convinced that Jesus does hold truth, and you're not convinced that Jesus is better, uh, that just means that needs, to be where you're, that needs to be your starting point for deconstruction. You need to find answers to that question. Uh, and if you do have that question, ask me or Chris or any church leader you, you trust, and we'll, we'll try to get you resources for that. But that needs to be your starting point, because without that, if you're not starting from a point of saying, okay, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus holds truth. The Bible is true. The Bible has answers that I can trust. Then you're kind of setting yourself up as your own God. You're saying, okay, as I deconstruct my faith, I'm just going to choose what's true and what's not. I'm going to just decide what makes sense. And that, again, that's another very arrogant thing to do. Who are you to say, like, oh, I'm going to decide what's true about spirituality. I'm going to decide what's true about God. So we need it to be within that framework. And I, I acknowledge that if you don't have that trust in the Bible in the first place, then you need to figure out why you can trust the Bible. You can't just start saying, oh, I'm going to trust it because I've been told to trust it. But you need to start there and figure out why you believe the Bible is true and why you can trust the words of Jesus. And everything needs to be centered around that. Uh, something that is not part of deconstruction uh, is just abandoning church entirely. We might get frustrated with Christians and we might get frustrated with the church, uh, but we're not, we're not meant to walk our faith alone. Jesus loves the church. God loves the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. You can't just walk away from the church. God intends for us to be part of the church. Another thing I'll say about our motivation for deconstruction and sometimes the frustration that we have with Christianity or the churches is that we shouldn't be surprised when we see Christians around us fail. We shouldn't be surprised when we fail. Uh, This is nothing new. When you look at the history of the church and when you look at biblical history, uh, a common theme running throughout the Bible is God's people failing to walk with him. God's people failing to live in a way that's consistent with what God asks asks of us and with God's character. Uh, You see this in the Old Testament. You can see it uh, in the book of Judges. You have a history of God's people following God and then worshiping idols and turning from him. Then God delivers them into the hands of their enemies. 
they suffer and they cry out to God for help. God takes mercy and sends a judge to deliver them. They worship God for a while and then they worship idols again. And it just keeps going over and over in a cycle. Uh, after the judges, you have the, the people saying, we need a human king. And so you have the, the, the period of kings. And if, for those who have grown up in the church, growing up going to Sunday school, at some point you might have seen a list of the kings of Israel and Judah. Sometimes there's a column next to it saying whether they're a good king or an evil king. I remember as a kid looking at it and being like, wow, there's, there's a lot of evil in this column. Like There's barely any good kings. And again, you see this history of the people of God. They're supposed to be under theocracy. Uh, but they're worshiping idols and making sacrifices to idols. And it's rare that a king comes around and says, hey, we should worship God again. Like, what we're doing is wrong. Uh, following that, you have period of uh, Israel in exile. Uh, you have all the prophets telling the people they need to turn back to God. Uh, when you get into the New Testament, what is Jesus spending a lot of his ministry doing? He's calling out religious leaders for hypocrisy and saying, you're not actually following God. He's taking different parts of the Bible and saying, like, look, you think you understand the law. You, you don't really understand it. That's basically what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus explaining how they're not actually following the law. When you look at Paul's letters, they're often correcting uh, churches for false beliefs they have. Some of them, a lot of them, he specifically says, no, I've heard this false teaching coming among you. I want you to know that this is the truth. Even the final book of the Bible, Revelation, and the seven letters to the churches. I think, I think it's three of them are fairly positive, and the majority of the churches are not doing so well, and John's calling them out on that. And so you have a lot, a lot of instances of people who are supposed to be following God not really doing so. It doesn't end after your biblical history, too. If you look through church history, I'm not going to go through all of church history. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to. But the standout for me is the Reformation and Martin Luther. Uh, if you don't know a lot about the Reformation, one of the big things that Martin Luther had a problem with was something called indulgences, where the Catholic Church, they were doing a lot of things that weren't biblical, but indulgences specifically was the idea that you could make a donation to the church and that you could buy less time in purgatory for yourself or a loved one. Uh, you could do that for someone who was living or dead. So if you had a relative who was dead and you were sad about them in purgatory, you could be like, I'm going to pay some money and they're going to spend less time in purgatory. So that wasn't at all biblical, and Martin Luther took issue with that and nailed his 95 theses on the church door saying why this was a problem, and that's where the Reformation was born. And so throughout all history, we see churches and Christians failing to, li to live in a way that honors God. So we shouldn't be surprised today when we see Christians in our lives, or even Christians who aren't in our lives, especially with social media and how I feel like I'm getting mad at things I see strangers doing every day, being like, oh, how can you be okay with this? Like, how are you okay with this being a representation of who Christ is? But it shouldn't surprise us because it's nothing new. And when we see that, we shouldn't take that to mean, well, I guess Christianity doesn't work. I guess Jesus isn't enough. No, we should take it to mean we still live in a fallen world and that Christians are still broken people and that God is still calling us to be a light in the darkness and that uh, we're called to follow more closely to him. And so as we see these things, it might lead us to deconstruction, uh, but that's fine because deconstruction should hopefully lead us to be closer to God and to understand our own faith a little bit better. So the last thing I want to look at is just uh, a tweet that I came across about construction by someone named Kate Boyd. Uh, I don't really know who she is. She's not particularly famous. Uh, I just kind of randomly came across her tweet. 
but I think it sums up pretty well uh, what deconstruction is. So I'll just read it for you. So there's no way I'd be able to read it off the screen. So she said, I consider my deconstruction as more of an untangling. After traveling and seeing the global church at work, I suddenly realized that my version of Jesus was tangled up with so much culture. I kept Jesus, but I went to the Gospels to see him for myself. I kept church, but I stopped expecting it to have all the answers or to look a certain way. I kept my commitment to God, but I let go of my need for certainty and embraced more, ambigu more ambiguity and comfort with questions. I stopped boxing God in. I stopped boxing Christianity and exp its, its, its expression in. I stopped idealizing an idea of community and embraced imperfect, not abusive, humans loving and learning together. America, white evangelicalism, they fall short every time. Once I untangled them from my faith, I realized that Jesus is better. The church is deeper and wider, and this is a faith I find such joy in that I share it with others now. One thing I really like is just how, how she summed it up in the end. She makes clear that her deconstruction process actually led her to more joy in Christ. As she got away from things that she realized that she had taken for truth or things about culture that she assumed were just part of what Christianity was, uh, and, and she let herself explore these things and come closer to see what Jesus actually taught and wanted of her, of her. it led her to, lead Jesus, to love Jesus more, and it led her to have a greater desire to share that love with others. And hopefully that's what deconstruction will do for us as we go through that process. Hopefully it will lead us to love Jesus more and give us a greater desire to share that with others. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about CU20 or People's Church of Montreal, then you'll see a link to our website in the show notes. There's also an email address that you can use to reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or want to find out a little bit more. Thanks again. Bye for now.